Hi, welcome to The Brief on the life of Gladys Alwert, the missionary to China. So first we'll look at her start in life. And what you should know is that her start was not promising. And this may be encouraging to you if your journey didn't start at a great place. Um, She started as a housekeeper, as a matter of fact, the daughter of a postal worker. And I believe her mother was also a housekeeper. So no great things going on in her life prior to this. But she had a burning desire to do something for the Lord. And she specifically felt like she needed to be a missionary. But she failed out of missionary training. She was thought to be too old for it, told that she would never make it. She was 27 years old. The people that were doing it were typically, you know, very early 20s. They were people who were trained at Ivy League universities and the like. And she couldn't pass Bible class. You know, you would think that that would be pretty much an essential to know the word of God uh, in order to be able to minister to people and to be a missionary to them. And she could never get that part done. So they told her, hey, you'll never make it. Um, You know, go find something else to do, basically. So she was took a job as a housekeeper for a doctor and Mrs. Fisher who had been missionaries to China. And she listened to them and heard and understood their stories about China. And something came alive inside of her and she knew that that was what she wanted to do. And so what she did was initially there, she would go out and minister to girls that were on the streets. And she was working together with an organization and she would get them out and off and sent back uh, to home uh, and also give them the story, the gospel story, what, what the gospel is and, and bring them to Christ. And so from there, she knew that she needed to go to China. So she began to save up her money to take the trip there. Brief two, getting there. And so she had to get from London to China, mainland China. And so what she was supposed to do was she was supposed to take a train ride. And so that's what she did. She got on the train. She saved up enough money, just enough money to, to get there, really. And however, the train had to stop in Russia. And there was war going on in Russia, actually. And so the train stopped at a point. She had to walk back through Siberia to yet another point. And it was about a 30-mile walk in Siberia. is extremely cold. So she did that, and she actually had to stop at one point, and she actually went to sleep in that extreme cold. And fortunately, she did wake up, you know, and was able to continue on. But she was stopped by the Russians who were looking for machinists at the time, and they tried to, to really take her off and uh, send her off to be a machinist for them. They changed her passport. She was in danger of being raped while she was there. But there was a helpful young lady that looked to be about 17 years old who told her that she was in great danger and told her that she had to get her passport back and told her to listen, that she would hear a knock in the night and that she should follow them to get help. And so that later that night, she did hear a soft knock and an elderly gentleman was at the door and he led her uh, to a boat and this boat was going to Japan and the lady had told her, no matter what, you need to be on that boat. And so she didn't have any money. Um, which she was told she needed to have money for. But then he said, I can take you prisoner and then turn you over to the British authorities once I get there. And so that was what she did. He took her, quote unquote, prisoner. She was fed, you know, and and carried to Japan. And then from Japan, she was able to take a boat uh, to China. Once she got to China, she was expecting to meet the lady that she was going to work with. But uh, Mrs. Lawson but Mrs. Lawson wasn't there. She didn't think that she would really come. You know, most people who sign up for missionary work, 
The vast majority don't do it. But obviously she did do it. She did come. But she had to do 23 more days travel by bus to the city where Mrs. Lawson was supposed to be. And it turns out she wasn't there. So she had to go two more days to a city, Yangqing, which is where Mrs. Lawson had went to. And the only way you could get there was by mule train. And it was a beautiful place, but, you know, very difficult to get to. And so she sets off with a mule train um, and she gets to Yangqing. Brief three, arrival in China. And so she gets to China and she meets Mrs. Lawson. And Miss Lawson's in her 70s. She's a white-haired, blue-eyed lady, which to the Chinese, that's extremely scary because they're, typically their hair does not turn white. It gets some gray in it, but, you know, maintains, it, it stays mostly black. It certainly doesn't turn white. When with her white hair and her blue eyes and her very light skin, it was very scary to the to Chinese. And they called her Lao Yang Kui, which means foreign devil. And so... um she gets language lessons from a guy named Yang, who had been an early convert of Ms. Lawson's to Christianity uh, in the Yangqing dialect of Chinese. And while she's there, she goes to the marketplace and she sees a beheading for theft of someone. I mean, they literally set them down, have them kneel down, they take a sword and they chop a head off while she's there. And she's, you know, appalled. The Mandarin has ordered this thing. The Mandarin you know, runs that territory, has sort of absolute rule over whatever territory they were assigned to. And uh, she sees that the people have no interest in Bible studies, although they try to do that. And so she's telling Miss Lawson, she's thinking about maybe they could travel with the mule trains because they go all over. They can take the gospel as they travel. And Miss Lawson says, that's it. We'll make this an end. And when people to stay, we'll tell them Bible stories. Um, because the Chinese loved, she said, Bible stories, our stories in general. And they would tell them Bible stories as a way to teach them about Christ. And so Mr. Yang would get the stories a little mixed up. He'd have uh, Jesus in pretty much everything. So instead of Noah leading the animals, he'd have Jesus on the ark with the animals and things like that. And Mrs. Lawson had a temper tantrum, which she would, was prone to do. People knew it. Um, and she basically uh, kicked kicked Gladys out because she was mad that Gladys didn't go on to go with her right away, but wanted to do some study of some of additional study of Chinese. And so she goes to town and stays with the lady who first told her where Mrs. Lawson was and a Mrs. Smith who was also from Europe. And she's not gone long, uh, only about a week. But while she's away, about seven days into it, she gets a messenger uh, that Mrs. Lawson is sick. And so she goes back to Yangqing and she finds out that Mrs. Lawson had moved on elsewhere. And the place where she was at, the balcony had broken. She'd fallen onto a coal pile and she'd been out in the elements for a week. So she stays with Mrs. Lawson, tries to nurse her back to health, spends six weeks with her trying to help her recover. She gets her back to Yangqing. And but Mrs. Lawson she doesn't quite come back. She'd just broken her hands, but she'd laid out there in the cold, you know, for all this time, um, for a week. You know, nobody had fed her, and uh, she'd been exposed to the elements. And so after another two weeks, she dies. Ms. Lawson's dies. And so now she's got to take over running the end of happiness. Brief four, tax problems. And so 
for this inn that they have, which, by the way, they were able to buy extremely inexpensively because the Chinese believed that it was haunted. And so, therefore, you know, they were willing to pretty much almost give it away. But they still had to pay taxes to the Mandarin in the area. But they didn't have any money to do it. And uh, also, when she would go to see the Mandarin, it would be necessary that she follow strict Japanese, strict Chinese etiquette. And she bowed the proper amount of times and, and everything. And she really, no one really knew how to do that with her being a foreigner. And they knew that a mistaken etiquette could be deadly, as she witnessed in the marketplace, you know, the beheading. So she just quit thinking about it, actually. And about a week later, the Mandarin shows up at her place. And he tells her that he actually needs her because it turns out that they've got him an edict from the nationalist government that was running China at that point, that all foot binding needed to be stopped. They had a practice of binding up the feet of young girls in such a way that their feet would fold over from the top down and because they prized having small feet. They thought that it was more attractive. Um, and he wanted Miss Gladys Alward to be his foot inspector because he needed someone with unbound feet. They had to be a female uh, because only female were allowed to look at other females' feet. Um, males weren't supposed to do it. They needed to speak the Yang Chin dialect, and uh, only Gladys was the person who fit the bill. So he told her he would pay her for the job. And so this took care of the matter of the taxes. Now she's getting paid by the very person she feared having to pay. And as she goes about, she tells him before she does it that she's going to have to talk about her God. And he's like, okay, well, I, you know, that's not really a big deal to me one way or the other. And so she does it as she goes she's going around inspecting the young girls in these villages. She's telling them about the, about the gospel as well and getting paid to do it, by the way. And she's traveling with soldiers, so she's safe. As she goes about, she's learning the area. And her Chinese is getting to be very, very good because she doesn't, she's not, there's no one for her to speak English to. So she's completely immersed in the language. And every girl under the foot of, under the age of 10 gets their feet unbound. Um, and she tells them Bible stories as she's there. She'll always meet with the village elder. And she spends several months of this over a year. And they find, that these unbound feet and the, the young ladies have now, they find them to be useful, not ugly. And so it works out very well. Brief five, prison riot. So Gladys is at the end of the Eight Happiness, which was her home base. You know, they were doing all this work with all the mule trains that would pass through and giving them the Gospels because, of course, they would then be going out and they'd be able to tell these same Bible stories where they went. But the Mandarin sins for Gladys. Um, and it turns out that there's a riot in the prison. And the governor of the prison wants her to go in and stop the fighting. And she's like, you want me to go in there? You know, she's this little lady. She's less than five feet tall. In fact, they call her the small lady. And... He says, well, you have the living God in you, because that's what she would always tell people when they would get saved. And he said, you can't be killed. You know, you got the living God in you. How can you be killed? So she does a quick prayer for protection and for the help of the Lord. And she goes in there and men are dying everywhere. They're cutting each other's heads off and stabbing each other with, with swords. And what she does is she said, stop at once. Give me that machete. And she says, all of you, drop your weapons and come here. And then they do it to her amazement. And then she tells them to get in line. And they do it. But they're all extremely thin. 
They're, they're, you only get food if you have someone like a relative who will come and bring food to you. And so they're extremely thin. Many of them, they have sores all over their bodies. They have lice. Um, and what she finds out is that someone started a fight. And the conditions are so poor, you know, that anything could happen. It was a, a powder keg. So what she tells the governor of the prison is, get them work. She tells them that, you know, men have to work. So she says, get them some looms so they can weave and then sell what they what they weave. Let them learn how to grow vegetables to eat. And she shows them how to do that. Um, and so she does it. And the governor of the prison gives her a new name for stopping the riot in the prison and suggesting this improvement in the prisons. He calls her Irida, virtuous one. And so that is the name she carried from that point forward as she worked in China, Irida. And so she gets a a meal to get some folks, merchants to donate old looms. Uh, She gets some yarn from local merchants and she gets a miller's wheel so that they can grind their own grain she shows them how to breed rabbits so they can sell for themselves. And in a few months, everyone at that old prison was warm and eating well. And so at this point, she's three years into her time in China. Brief five. Orphanage. So she's going to see the Mandarin and a woman tries to sell her a child. It's a little girl. And she wants her to buy her for a dollar and 50 cents. And she goes in and talks to the Mandarin about it, and he tells her to do nothing about the child. But Gladys tells him in her usual bold way, she'll obey God and not the Mandarin on this matter. And so when she gets out, the lady is still trying to sell her the the child, and she gives her all that she has, which is nine pence. And the lady says, that'll do. She gives her the little girl. She's a four or five-year-old girl, and she names her nine pence, which is what she cost her. And she becomes Gladys's first child the first orphan that she adopts. Now, next, she soon finds a little boy. Uh, actually, Ninepence finds a little boy. And uh, she asked Gladys if she could eat a little less. She said that she would eat a little less. And if they did that, then they could, they could afford to feed this little boy. And so they named him Less. So now she has two kids, a little boy who's about probably around eight years old, a little girl who's, who was four to five years old, And so she decides that she needs to become a Chinese citizen. So she becomes the first missionary to China to actually become a Chinese citizen. And she has two kids. Now, eventually, at this point, she gets up to where she has five children staying together with her at the end of eight happinesses. Brief seven, school. And so now the Mandarin wants her to start a school. She's got five children at this point, as we mentioned in the last brief. And so she does so. But it turns out the Japanese have attacked the Chinese. So there's war coming this way. And they bombed the village. They're coming to Yangqing. And so the Mandarin made the decision to abandon the town. Because essentially what he wanted to do was follow a scorched earth policy. And this is, you know, he wanted the villagers to burn the crops, to, to kill what livestock they couldn't take with them, you know, and to move out, to leave them nothing that could be used to benefit the Japanese. And so Gladys knew where she was going to go with uh, the folks that were working with her at the end of Eight Happiness, as well as her children. So she decided she would go to Beiche Chang, which was not on a map. There were no roads on how to get there. You had to climb uh, to get there by hand. It was really just eight houses behind a wall, but they had a lot of caves there. 
that you could stay in that they used for their animals in the wintertime. And that's where they could stay. The good thing about it was you couldn't see anything in the caves. They were not visible. And she knew that she had friends in the area who could help them with food. And so um, they were superstitious eventually there about a giant scorpion being trapped in a particular house. And no one would pull the roof down. So Gladys had people who would do it, and they did. So now she's 10 years into it, and the Mandarin tells her something that's pretty shocking to her as they're preparing to abandon a town. He tells her that he wants to accept Christianity. And so the Mandarin accepts Christ as well. Brief eight, won it. So now it comes to find out that there's a price on her head. The Japanese uh, have, have heard about her. Um, they heard about her because Time Magazine actually sent a Theodore White in there. Um, and uh, so anyway, there's this war going on in Japan. And this war is going on for a year and a half. To her, one of her sons, Les, had lost three fingers from gunfire. And C. Lan, who had become a Christian, um, he saw the Japanese... Uh, they kept they captured they captured him and his his family and instead of like beheading him or, or torturing him which is what he was expecting instead they boarded up his house with his wife and children inside and they they set the house on fire and so he was he was never the same after that um you know and there were some 50 Japanese soldiers in the town they hit Gladys in the head with a rifle butt uh but Another guy who was there by the name of Davies, another European, got the women to pray. And so they tried to shoot Davies. This guy did, but the gun wouldn't fire. He tried again to shoot him and still wouldn't fire. And he tried yet again to fire and the women were praying and it wouldn't fire again. So the Japanese soldier backed out, scared to death, not knowing what was going on. Of course, it was the prayer that was causing all of this. And no women were hurt. Um, and at this point, Gladys has tried a few children that she's keeping with her. Uh, in fact, more than 100. She sends the first 100 children to Cyan, where there were orphanages that could take care of them. Brief nine, wanted. So at this point, there is a price on her head. She says, if I must die, let me not be afraid of death, but let there be a meaning to her death, O oh God, in my dying. So... She's trying to decide what to do. Should she stay where she is um, because the Japanese, you know, they're, they're coming? Or should she leave? And so when she opens the Bible, she sees flee to the mountains uh, in the Bible where she turns to. And so she still has 94 children with her, even though she's sent 100 on. And so she takes those 94 with her, going to Sian, where she'd sent the, the other 100 children. And she gets the children to sing. They got no way to cross the Yellow River. And so it turns out, the singing of the children attracts someone. He, he, he sees them and uh, he tells them this is the first time in a week that the Japanese have not passed over that spot. And so they, he has an old boat. He takes three trips to get Gladys and the children across the river. This is the Yellow River, the major river in China. And then from there, they could take a train to Cyan, uh, is what he told them that would take five days. And so she's got these 94 children and off they go. Uh, to Cyan. On the way, there's a group of monks, and she has the feeling 
that they've been waiting for them. And so it turns out these monks have a copy of John 3.16 on the wall. You know, for God so loved us, the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. And they've been waiting for three years for someone to tell them about this God. And so she spends a week there witnessing to these monks. And now, uh, you know, everywhere she goes, she's still sharing the, the gospel. They pass a leper colony, her and these 94 children. She witnesses there. There's a prison. She talks to all the prisoners. The vast majority of them become believers. Now, in addition to the war with Japan, there's a war internally in China between the nationalist and the communist. And as it turns out, 200 students at a university there, when the Japanese show up, they ask them to indicate whether or not they're going to support the nationalists or the communists, and they need to renounce Christianity in order to support the communists, and none of them would do so. So 200, so the very first one, um, they said something that she, before she thought she was a Christian, she said now she knew she was, and they pressured them in all sorts of different ways to renounce Christianity, but they wouldn't do it. And so they beheaded the girl, and then they beheaded the all 200 of the, the ones who would not renounce Christianity. So I say this to say that it costs something to be a Christian. In fact, it costs everything. Brief nine, back to England. So at this point, Gladys has spent 17 years in China. She started an orphanage. She has had, you know, more than... Uh, almost a couple hundred orphans that she's adopted. You know, she had that inn of eight happiness. She had um, all of these other things in addition to the, you know, the, the school that she started, the order of the Mandarin, she'd done the foot binding. You know, they managed to evangelize all these mule trains. So she'd done a ton. But uh, as I had mentioned, Time Magazine had done this article on her. And so now she decides that she's going to go back to England. And so when she gets back to England, they make a movie about her. She has speaking engagements all over Europe. You know, she'd spent 17 years in China to that point. So she spends 10 years back in England. And, but then she feels that she has to go back to what she feels is her true home, which is China. But now China's in the hands of the communists. So she goes to Taiwan, which is where the nationalists went, also known as Formosa. And she is Aiwida one more time, the virtuous one. She does Bible studies. She watches babies, and she travels preaching the gospel in Taiwan. And so at 66, seven years old, they find her dead in her sleep uh, with yet another baby that she'd adopted sleeping by her side. Brief 10, key takeaways from the life of Gladys Alward. First thing is this, God uses the things that we despise in many cases. The housekeeper was used mightily. And Paul said, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency may be of Christ and not ourselves. And so it's never about us. It's not about what we start. It's always about Christ. And he can use anyone who will let themselves be used. And so if you'll let yourself be used, Christ can use you. Second thing is, it's a lifetime commitment. Paul said, I have fought the good fight. He said, I have ran the good race. He said he kept the faith. And so this was right up to the end, and so it is for you. Following Christ is a lifetime commitment. And Gladys gave all that she had, all that time in her life, from the time she was 27 until the time that she died in her sleep at 67. It's a lifetime commitment. 
The third point is this. The Great Commission is for all of us. We are to go making disciples, turning folks into Christians, helping them to grow. We are to be like Christ to help him extend his kingdom. The Lord's Prayer, he said, his kingdom come, his will be done. In a kingdom, the will of the king is done. Our king is Jesus Christ. As his disciples, we are to be like him. We are to go out in the world, making yet other brothers and sisters who look just like Jesus. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Hi, thank you for listening to this brief. We have plenty more at ChristianBrief.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-B-R-I-E-F.com. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And hope you check out some of the other briefs at ChristianBrief.com.